to another edition of Thinking Like a Lawyer. I'm Joe Patrice. Uh, Catherine Rubino just interrupted there. Chris Williams, of course, was waiting for being this. introduced before he'd say anything. <laughs> there we go. So uh, we're your editors from Above the Law, and we're here to talk a little bit about the week's journey in law. You How know. you doing there, buddy? Well, um... You don't... As we begin our small talk section with that trumpet call, uh, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm not doing as, gr- I'm not as chipper as I could be. Oh, yeah? Yeah. I, uh, I did have my battery replaced uh, So you yesterday. are admitting to being a robot. That's what's I going am. on right there. I okay. uh, cool, I cool. got my battery replaced on the old defibrillator, so mm-hmm. uh, my whole left side isn't really moving around all that well. But, you know, the good news is... You probably uh, got COVID during surgery? No, I no, I can type articles still. They're just a little slower because I can only use one hand. But to hunt and peck. Hey, Jeffrey Tubin. Oh, yeah, nice. <laughs> that was, I nice. had the thought, but not the name. There we go. <laughs> nice, nice, nice. But yeah, no, but my ability to hunt and peck doesn't hurt my ability to, you know, <laughs> hit my sound effect board. Wow. Yeah. I just thought that maybe, you know, staring mortality in the face would make you a little bit less of a dick. Nope. But, okay. <laughs> nope. If, if anything, steals my resolve. <laughs> Today's episode brought to you by Viagra. No. <laughs> not, not really a, a heart medicine. Although, what was that one that was... What was Viagra invented for? It was invented for something that was not its ultimate use. I do remember that. Was it? I think was it, it a heart medicine? Heart medicine, and then yeah. they found, And I think there was a study that showed that Viagra actually reduced uh, the pain from period cramps. But then they were like, oh, "Yeah, women." <laughs> <They don't count. laughs> so, what kind of market is that? Yeah. Yeah. No. Um. I mean, LSD was a migraine medicine at first, right? So, like everybody. Uh, yeah, no. So okay, well, I, this devolved to a pharmaceutical uh, conversation way quicker than I hoped. Yeah. Oh, I, I mean, yeah. Look, it's. Uh, hey, Chris, how was your weekend? Uh, I'm having that brain fart where, like, somebody says, "So, what do you what you do?" And you forget everything you've ever done in your life. <laughs> um, a lot of being in the house. My mom came through. She's in the house. She helped me. Uh, it, it was good. To, it was good to see her. We get this. Got some cooking in. Um, nice. But yeah, I, I I still don't remember anything else outside of that. So, <laughs> you know, sucking the marrow out of life. Yeah, I didn't do anything well, all that I, interesting. You got cut open. Well, that was on Monday. Um, <laughs> so I was going to count it as your thing. Okay, <laughs> I guess that's fair. Yeah, no, I'm. Uh, yeah, I'm. I'm plugging along. Well, anyway, I went shopping. Well, good. Well, online shopping, but still count it. Mm-hmm. Uh, friends of I and are spending some time at the TWA hotel at JFK, um, which oh, is all yeah. like decked out as like a retro cool kind of locale. So I decided obviously that my wardrobe should be at least have a retro flair. Now, my number one issue is that most of the stuff that I currently have that's like a little retro is I lean more towards like 70s retro when I really feel like 60s is more like hitting it on the nose, but I'm working on it. Yeah, no, I, I had a conference in that hotel that I attended once. Uh, it's it's actually super nice. Yeah, I'm excited about it. It's, it's you know, I'm from the New York area. I live here, but it's kind of a little, not quite staycation because I'm going somewhere. But, you know, I don't have to, like, get on a plane or a train or an auto. Well, I have to take an automobile. Um, and not to plug the hotel or anything, but, like, if you 
if you are flying out of JFK on the on JetBlue, show up a little bit early and you can actually walk from the JetBlue terminal over to this hotel and they're connected. And it is kind of cool to see like an old retro 60s airport feel. Yeah, it's yeah. pretty cool. I'm excited about it. It's uh, They say that Omicron is... We're, we're on the tail half of it, at least, I think. Is that an airplane joke? No, no. but maybe. Fair enough. I mean, sure. <laughs> yes, it was. Uh, no. No, but... don't. You don't do that. You do. Now I'm going to do it. <laughs> Damn it. All right, go on. <sighs> Deep sigh. Yeah. You know what? No gods, no masters. Next episode, I'm bringing my own sound effect machine. I'm going crazy. <laughs> oh, there we go. <laughs> It'll be like the dueling sound effects episode. <laughs> Amazing. Uh, You all can just handle that one on your own. (laughs) Cool. All right. I I think that wraps it up for our uh, session of small talk. Why are you wincing there? I I feel like I know it's not. Okay. (laughs) Okay. (laughs) You're such a goddamn asshole. So let's talk about about the big. Oh, see, now that was a good reference. Uh, yeah, Let's talk I, I about the big story of the week, which is... Happens. Nothing big happens in big law this past... Oh, oh. Yeah, no. Oh, so, Milbank announced that they would be increasing associate salaries. This bucks a bit of conventional wisdom that seemed to be settling over the industry that what was going to happen is that associate salaries themselves would stay the same and that to the extent that there was a battle for lateral talent, it would take effect in the form of more... Special bonuses, a one-off bonus here, whatever, just to avoid locking the industry into a new salary scale. But Milbank, who has really, really set itself, even though oftentimes other firms come in and then raise the salary after them, Milbank is the firm that now three straight times has set the bar of we're going to increase associate salaries, people. I mean, I think that that's awesome. Good yeah. for them. Uh, and I think that it... And I don't think it... Oh, yeah. sorry. I no, was go just going to say, just going to finish that with, and even though other firms, off, you know, in some of those cases have come over the top of them towards mm-hmm. the end, I don't think it detracts from Milbank's role as a leader in yeah. this because I don't think those firms would have given anybody anything if Milbank hadn't moved first. I think that that's true. I think that Milbank over the from like what 2017-ish on has really set itself as a, a leader on compensation. Uh, whether or not they have the final word, who, who's to say? Well, Davis Polk is to say. But... Uh, <laughs> But but they are the ones who absolutely are leading the charge and plenty of associates, not just at Milbank, but in the industry, thank them for it. I am positive. 2016 is the, the, that first raise. Then 2018, they did kind of a basically a cost of living adjustment, which that, that was the most absurd one of the raises because the market freaked out. How how dare you be raising salaries again? And when you broke it down, they didn't even really raised salaries. They increased everybody's by the amount that inflation had been over two years. So it was it was just a basic cost of living. Oh, that's interesting. Do you think the fact that inflation is a thing is part of why firms are, are doing this now? I, I would certainly hope inflation is not a thing to the tune of these sorts of raises. <laughs> Fair. Uh, to these level of raises. Yeah, yeah. no. Yeah, I, so it, it ranges between 10 and $20,000 depending on class year, which 
you know, and we kind of had talked about this earlier that this is not just an individual salary goes up because individuals salaries go up every year as they progress. They go second years become third years. That means they get a different salary. But what a third year in the abstract gets paid has gone up. I think $10,000 in that instance. But each of those years have seen a bump between ten and twenty thousand uh, dollars, depending on seniority. Just yeah, no, not I, nothing. Yeah, and so far, uh, not every firm has matched at this point, but firms have started trickling in well, to match. Well, most notable, I mean, this might date when we actually are recording right. this. I guess that's fair. But it is worth it to say that Davis Polk, as we've kind of mentioned, is another. Um, they they have a bit of a spoiler role on Milbank's party. They often will come over the top of the established numbers, uh, either in terms of special bonuses or maybe for a higher class, as Cravath did, I think, in 2018, right? The Cravath came over the top for more senior associates. Yeah, in the middle of the yeah. run, yeah. And that's something I think that is very much still on the table. Um, neither Kavath or DPW have moved yet. We'll see what they do. I think if either of them come out to this scale, that becomes that becomes the scale. Yeah, I think that's right. I like to think the price raises are actually just a pissing contest between like senior partners or like somebody does like a a, a, full, a full pod, a party. It's like, you know what? I'm going to make your company pay all your associates way more money. In some ways, in some ways, it kind of is right. I mean that 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 basically is the how the lateral market operates at this point. The amount of transactional work out there is outstripping the size of the staff of transactional lawyers that these firms have. They are going to keep increasing <laughs> and you know, raising the stakes on each other until they have enough folks to uh, to fulfill the demand. Yeah, they, I think it is really interesting. It does seem very much like uh, corporate partners are, or corporate work is really driving a lot of this. Um, I had a big law partner in litigation quip to me that they can't imagine a first-year associate is worth $215,000 a year. But I was like, well, you know, talk to your partners because <laughs> they, they think so. And look, it, well, a lot of people complain about the uh, amount of money lawyers mm-hmm. make, but... I I'm, I don't know. I, I got to sit back and say, like, I don't think these folks have when old lawyers complain, no young associate is worth X, Y, Z. I think they are really failing to grasp how expensive it is to get a law degree at this point. The amount of tuition it costs to get a law degree and the amount of debt folks are going into to get law degrees has reached a point where it is not feasible to pay associates a hundred grand anymore. If you want to incentivize anybody to go through the process to get a law degree, you actually have to start touching the 200 grand line just so they have some prospect of paying back their loans within the first 10 to 15 years that they're lawyers. If you cut back on the amount of tuition, then perhaps you could cut back on how much you pay associates. But until that happens, this is the, it, it's a cost of the in, it's an input cost that has to be reflected. And the wild thing is, is that's even the case for people that go to law school and don't end up going to big law, because I know well, for right. a lot of people, they're like, oh, I'll just go to law school. I'll get a big law gigs for the summers, pay off some of my loans, and then that'll help in the long run. They don't get the big law gig. And then they're stuck with the debt, the same amount yeah. of debt that people that go to big firms have, but they don't have the, the, the pay to do it. It's like so much of the conversations about 
lawyers making a lot of money ignores the fact that most lawyers aren't working in big law gigs, mm-hmm. but they have that uh the that carrot that gets dangled yeah. in front of them to help maintain the idea that oh this is manageable this will be fine yeah and the idea that yeah like and this is going to eventually cause that sort of mid level and public interest shortage crisis and th- I, I i we're not breaking any new ground here this has already happened in a bunch of other industries basically you have to come in independently wealthy to go into public interest work in a bunch of different fields because of the way in which tuition has increased even at the undergrad level but the law school explosion of debt mm-hmm. has gotten so extreme that the idea there was when i went to law school it was already expensive but the concept of I'll work in big law for a few years and then do something else was it was still at least quasi plausible. You'd still have debt after that, but you wouldn't have you wouldn't necessarily be underwater. So it took me what? I think I finished my debt, finished off all of my debt after 10 years of working in both big law and at a boutique that paid functional basically big law salaries. So then that took me 10 and tuition has basically doubled at my alma mater in that period of time. So, mm. and salaries haven't. <laughs> so it's, to me, it seems as though these salaries are still not quite where they would need to be to match the cost that law schools are putting on folks, which is probably a reason we should do something about law schools. But, you know, there's no appetite for that. Unfortunately. Hey, Sarah. The, the, the moral of the story is folks are getting paid. That's good. We'll see if more people get paid. Yeah. We'll see if there's another spiraling up of the amounts in the next few days. But yeah. Okay. Okay. That's that's a more subtle. I mean, I used it uh, when we started this conversation. I just was closing the conversation with that. Let's talk about speaking of really rich people. uh, You know, to put in perspective that paying an associate you know, 200 grand is not that big a deal. Let's talk about Elon Musk. Yeah, he uh, he's trying or he tried uh, to use his clout and influence to convince a big law firm to fire an associate. I mean, whatever. This is utterly unsurprising about every considering everything I've ever heard about Elon Musk as a human. So there's that. But the interesting part, I think, uh, is that the b- uh, big law firm is Cooley. Uh, Cooley was like, nah, nah, man, we're not going to do it. Uh, and the reason why Elon Musk has it out for this associate is that the associate came to the firm from the SEC. And while at the Securities and Exchange Commission interviewed Elon Musk as part of, I don't know if you remember, Elon had sent a bunch of like tweets and then he was about like, and then affected the stock prices and there was a whole thing. And he had a, agreed to a bunch of things about how he, what he was doing on Twitter and like the, uh, in-house counsel at Tesla had to like review some of his tweets if they were on like the following subjects or something like that. It was a whole thing. It was a whole thing. And so apparently he did not enjoy being, being uh, brought before the SEC. And now that Cooley has hired them and Cooley does a bit of, or has historically done a bit of work for uh, Tesla and they are withdrawing and they've apparently started to make arrangements already to withdraw some of their work from Cooley. Well, it, now to go back to the the Twitter scandal that mm-hmm. Musk's talking about, it, what really always ticked me off about that conversation was there were tech bro folks who would stand up for him. What he would do is he'd essentially tweet out 
you know, we're having a great, great quarter here at Tesla's sorts of information. It wasn't that, but something along those lines. And he would be divulging public information outside of the context of the earning calls and the sort of outlets in which you are supposed to be giving out this information. He's mm -hmm. functionally giving out insider information. This is a problem. And people complained, oh, the government all over him. He should be able to say whatever he wants. It's like, well, he should say whatever he wants if he doesn't want to start putting his money on the market. Like, if he doesn't want his company on the market, then he can say whatever he wants. Mm -hmm. He could be, Bloom, you know, Mike Bloomberg and own the company himself and say whatever he wants. But if he feels he needs to make money by taking it to the stock market, then he's got to follow some rules. Yeah. There's nothing, it was, wasn't really complex. This wasn't a freedom issue, despite the fact that a bunch of stupid libertarians tried to turn it into one at the time. <laughs> so the SEC had to talk to him about, you're violating a bunch of the rules that exist to allow you to become the richest person in the world, despite the fact that your cars only work half the time. <laughs> hey, <laughs> it's 52 really now. Feel. Okay, fair enough. I, I, I tearfully withdrawn. Yeah, but, <laughs> I, I think it's, I think it's interesting because uh, folks, when we, we wrote about this story and the Wall Street Journal broke it and a bunch of people were talking about it, and, and I know I've heard some people say, oh, well, you know, it's surprising that Cooley did not, the customers always write that they didn't choose the clients and this. And I think that that kind of misunderstands the ethos of a lot of big law firms. Uh, I think that there's this kind of collegiality, and especially at a firm like Cooley, which has in the past won like one of the best places to work at kinds of accolades. I think it says a lot about the firm and they are going to pay a monetary cost for it. But I think that they'll get it on the back end on recruiting. I, I I think that that's that's true. I think that we we were just talking about how there's more transactional work than there are people to go around. Dropping a client who you know, while owned by a very rich person, is not really keeping the whole company no. the whole firm afloat. They're not going to miss that too much at all. I don't think. All of a sudden, they've now got an opportunity to get an SEC alum an opportunity to work on more stuff. That seems like a win win. Yeah, I don't know. It's rare that we get to have stories at Above the Law where I can just kind of unreservedly say, good for them. Yeah, you know what the difference between Cooley and a Tesla is? It's better be good. Cooley recognized a problem before it ran into it. <laughs> so... So... Catherine, can we just do the show? Oh. <laughs> Okay, I'm broken. It's okay. <laughs> Much like a Tesla. Yeah. Oh, there you go. I'm on fire. Um, Much, Much like, like a Tesla. Like a, yeah, no, <laughs> like, you know, it, 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 it pains me to make these jokes because I actually, I tend to come down on the uh, on the self-driving car side of this, uh, generally speaking. I mean, I think there are serious issues with accidents and its inability to recognize stuff, but... I worry that a lot of folks are taking the fact that these companies are doing things that I think are probably moving too fast as a reason to not build self-driving cars as opposed to build getting right. better yeah. ones. Yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah like I, I have huge problems with the way in which things are going now, but I always, and we actually did a show about this back when Ellie was my co-host about self-driving self and what to do about it. And he's like, ah, they're all like, killing people and robots and awful. And I was like, yeah, they ultimately will be a better thing for the world if they came to 
work, but that cars isn't don't an get excuse. drunk. Exactly, cars <laughs> don't get drunk. Hey, the, cars also they don't even. I don't, I don't, I don't know, even feel bad about it. I don't know the last time anybody was on a highway, but cars also can be better drivers. Uh, like a lot of accidents are caused by stupid people doing stupid things on highways that would not happen. In fact, we would probably be able to drive faster on highways if we had functional self-driving cars because you would be in a position where they wouldn't have to worry about accidents and could therefore go faster. But yeah. I mean, they don't, they don't rubber neck. They don't rubber neck. They don't don't rubber neck. A huge problem. Yeah. They also understand stuff like don't get in the left-hand lane unless you're passing. God. Anyway, but but if we had more self-driving cars, cops would probably have less probable cause to pull over black people. So you got to weigh the good with the bad. (laughs) I mean, there is that and and less probable cause to do any of the stuff uh, because putting aside race issues, which is a hard thing to do. But in this one Alabama town that I wrote about, uh, it's still it, it was true that there was no racial wasn't really a racial dynamic to what they were doing. There's a town in Alabama that now gets over half of its budget from mm-hmm. just issuing needless fines to people on highways for, uh, looked like you uh, hesitated a little bit there. Uh, like the- really ridiculous trumped up stuff. A huge uh, piece, I didn't do the original reporting on it, that was from the Alabama.com, Alabama.com okay. yeah. which was fan- a fantastic article that everyone should read about mm-hmm. the way in which Southern fried corruption is alive and well in law enforcement in the South. So, yeah. but that wasn't really our our next topic. Our next topic was, uh, Catherine, you also talked to us a little bit about a judge who wasn't vaccinated. Yeah, it was a Dutchess County uh, judge in New York, Judge Mora, refused to get vaccinated. It is required uh, in New York State for judges, for any court personnel to become to get vaccinated or get an exemption. Uh, He applied for an exemption. It was denied. So he was banned from the courthouse, uh, said that he should do this, what he's supposed to do remotely, et cetera. And uh, Law 360 did some reporting and found that not only was he continuing to come to the courthouse on a near daily basis, he did it without a mask. Mm-hmm. Not only that, he didn't even show up like with a mask. He showed up with a face shield, you know, which is worthless basically, but is at least some sort of a show of something but he was photographed at the courthouse with the face shield in his hand barefaced unvaccinated and proud it's obvious it's all the things it's all the things but one one every person who works for the court system has to be vaccinated or get an exemption or else they're fired Except for judges right because there's a whole judicial ethics separate process which takes year can take over a year to adjudicate the court system won't comment specifically on on the judge but it's not great yeah, not this, great. we live in a hellscape you guys this got me thinking about uh the the giant sarah palin new york times a mm. defamation case finally has made it to trial and it was supposed to kick off yesterday and it did not <laughs> because womp, uh, womp, womp. you know you just you just need to ask. <laughs> I felt it was more organic if I just said it and a little less jarring for folks. Mm. Anyway, so that it did not kick off because immediately before the trial began, she informed the court that she had come down with COVID. And then she had to get a second test to confirm that, and uh, she had come down with COVID. This prompted the, I think, underrated 
all-star comment of a uh, federal judge of the year so far, like an early in the in the leader box. <laughs> we should hold an annual contest for best best thing best, a judge says, like whether it be bench slaps or or whatever. But just just stone cold, Judge Breakoff says she is, of course, unvaccinated <laughs> in court when when announcing this. Which, oh, Judge Breakoff is continues to absolutely crush it at this job uh, <laughs> when it comes to pithy remarks. I really love unhinged judges. Like I remember when, um, what was it? When Thurgood got on the bench, there was this one skit. I think it was, might've been SNL or something, but it was like, or we're like maybe like mad TV. It was like, well, I'm here now. <laughs> like, what are you going to do about it? <laughs> like, I love when they, I love when they're like, Hmm, I have a position where I should be using decorum. Fuck that. <laughs> it just makes my soul happy. I mean, I've I had interactions with Judge Rakoff before. Like, it, 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 I mean, it, perfect decorum. Just the ability to, just the ability to have that that sarcastic twist to the knife. Right when you, yeah. right when it's most effective. It really, yeah. <laughs> ten yeah. points. Ten points to Gryffindor. There. <laughs> yeah. Ugh. Oh, that you, know, you you say to Gryffindor. I mean, obviously, you know, the whole Harry Potter legacy is a a little messed up these days, but that's no, what, a lot. That's what we should do. We should we should run a sorting hat on the entire federal judiciary. <laughs> Figure out a sorting where they wig. All are. It'll be a sorting wig. Yeah, the sorting wig. Amazing. Yeah. yeah. And, and the best thing about it would be that Ben Shapiro would get online and talk about how it's a liberal agenda to uh, force gender on male justices. See, well, I mean, it wouldn't. Well, you wouldn't have to force gender. I mean, it's it's not. I mean, it's uh, Hogwarts is co-ed these days. Well, no, the wig, like, oh, they're just trying to wig oh, up Gorsuch, like, or, or, or Gorsuch or whatever. Well, right, oh, I see. Because remember, what was, that, what was the guy, Tucker Carlson, he got mad that the green M&M isn't sexy anymore? Yeah, well, like, I mean, that is, that is a huge issue. It is a reason uh, to be angry. Clearly, like. yeah. <laughs> Jeez. Oh, the right. green M&M, like, uh, that's, that's the part that really kills me, is that the green M&M discourse was something that I had to live through. <laughs> and we're all stupider for having And we are all that. stupider for having lived through all of this. I, mean, I think they, the Onion, I think, put up a headline that was something like, Nestle reminds people they can sexualize raisinettes any way they want. <laughs> um, <laughs> this was just right. a long con to get you to say that on air. I just want you to know that. <laughs> that sentence. Fair enough. All right, so I think that's it. Right, we done. Cool. Uh, thanks everybody for listening. You should be subscribed to the show so you get new episodes when they come out. You should give reviews to the show, not just give it its five stars, which obviously, Obvi. but also write down uh, some words. You know that way it shows that you're engaged, cared enough to write words, which the computers will figure as a reason to say that uh, it's popular. With that said, you should be following us on social media. I'm at Joseph Patrice. She's at Catherine One. He's at Rights for Rent. You should be listening to other shows. Catherine's also the host of the Jabot. I'm a guest on the Legal Tech Week Journalist Roundtable. I, uh, you should also check out the other Legal Talk Network programs that we aren't necessarily on. You should be reading Above the Law all the time. That way you can see these stories before they hit the Thinking Like a Lawyer feed, which is very useful when it comes to salary increases because we are putting those up as quickly as we can. As they happen. Yeah. Real time. In real time. And uh, yeah, cool. That With all that said, we will uh, talk to you all next week. Peace. Bye. Peace.